Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a lot happening on today's show. We're going to kick things off in just a moment with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. We're going to talk about what happened yesterday with the Federal Reserve and how that could impact the markets going out longer term. In segment two, we're going to take a look at the weather. We're also going to get an update on some of the changes that are happening geopolitically, notably in Europe as they look to crack down on sanctions. And then in segment three, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Mark Bush. He's a professor of international business at the Walsh School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University. And we're going to be talking about this pending Mexican GMO corn ban and the various ways the U.S. could work to get that corn or keep that corn rather flowing into Mexico after next January. And finally, we are going to wrap things up with Eric Jennings. He's president of the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association. Despite the weather this past week, South Dakota Cattlemen still got together for their annual meeting. Eric's going to give us an update as to what was discussed after this volatile year in the cattle business. But before we jump into all of that, let's talk first with Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Good morning, sir. Thank you. Hey, let's talk yesterday about Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's announcement. We saw what the market was anticipating, Chris, at 50 basis point hike in the rates. And yet, my goodness, things are not going well in the equities, is it? Not really. It depends on which index you look at, too. The the strongest of all three, uh, the NASDAQ, the Dow, and the S&P, has been the Dow, the blue chips. They're holding up there. They're still, you know, not that far away from uh, their all-time highs this time last year. What a difference a year makes. This time last year, that you know, we were making new all-time highs, and uh, we're sitting here right now. The Dow is down about 10% off those highs. The S&P is down about 18%, which is you know that 20% is that technical bear market. Um, and yeah, the the market it's interesting. You know, when we got the CPI number on Tuesday, we had a huge rally because it was less inflation than people thought. They were hoping the market was hoping that Fed Chairman Powell would. Stop tightening, right? Because that's what's driving this. So we've um, got the highest interest rates in 15 years now, and the Fed's tool to stop inflation is to raise that Fed funds rate, which is the overnight. They make money more expensive. So what it comes down to, and yeah, the, the market had expected 75 percent. We got 50, but the important thing was his guidance. His guidance for the next six months was, hey, we're not done yet. So the market didn't like that. Yes, some people um, obviously sell the market. We're a little bit lower here today. Um, but, you know, this is going to take a while. It took us, uh, you know, 15 years to, to go from, you know, 1% inflation to what we've gotten. I, and in my opinion, it's probably going to take longer than six weeks or six months to uh, work out this inflation problem. And Chris, it certainly looks like the trade, at least on the equity side, is in agreement with you. But I'm wondering if inflation is still hot enough to cause the Fed to be concerned. Is that a tailwind for commodities as a hedge against future inflation? Well, you know, when when this happens, the the silver lining, the U.S. dollar is at a six-month low. So the U.S. dollar has dropped 10% off its highs just three months ago. Just three months ago, we were at 20-year highs in U.S. dollar, and that makes our exports more expensive, right? So to have the dollar... 10% 10% lower than it was. We still have a way to go, but that certainly should help our exports. And we saw it this morning. We had better than expected bean ex- exports, better than expected wheat uh, exports, and um, uh, soybean meal, that was within expectations. 
Corn sales were actually slightly above expectations. And that's been the one kind of uh, headwind for corn. Our exports uh, for corn have lagged every month. Every month this year, we've missed the USDA target. So that's something that we've got to look at. A lot of people out there, you know, try to figure out where the prices are going to go. That's all fundamental news. And we'll see, you know, if, if we can get a lower dollar, it might help turn the corner on our exports. Get that export spigot back operating there in the corn market. Chris, you mentioned corn and wheat were the two that had pretty positive export sales or at least export announcements this morning. We've got wheat up 10, 13 cents. Is that all driven on the strength that foreign buyers are coming back to the U.S. market? Yes, and the wheat's been in a, a strange place. So the, fundamentally, there's not enough wheat. Everybody knows that. Uh, so our spring wheat, we've got the uh, smallest stocks in 15 years. And the market has kind of turned its nose up on that. I think the, the number one thing they've been looking at is the Russians had a very large crop. Then they also got their hands on the Ukrainian and, uh, wheat and have been selling that. So while they've been talking about hi higher prices, you know, they've been really flooding the market. And that's uh, put pressure on our wheat market. Our wheat market, every time we've tried to have a rally, it didn't hold. So the market, while fundamentally there may be a reason to be friendly wheat, um, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is price, not opinion. And we are languishing here. The, the, you know, are we trying to find a bottom? Yes, we are. If you look at March Chicago wheat, you know, we're at uh, a big, big key support down there, that 725 level. That support going all the way back to September of 2021. Um, you know, and now we're above the 750 level. So you got to remember, just a month and a half ago, in the middle of October, we were at 960. So we've got a ways to go if we can recover, but certainly it's been a disappointing move lower. Since the highs this summer, we've trended lower. And again, that's despite the fact that the whole world knows that you know we're pretty tight on wheat. So we'll see if these, uh, again, if the uh, lower dollar can help our U.S. wheat exports. It's amazing how sticky that sentiment can be once those trends start to develop. Chris, looking at the soybean market, we're down on the day, but what are you watching trend-wise in beans as we round out 2022? Well, two things. March beans, your beans in the, in the bin, every time we've gotten to $15 for the last 16 months, last six months, excuse me, $15 is big resistance. So I'm not saying that's the top, but for the last six months, it's been a great level to move beans if you needed to. Uh, it's also a good level to use to set a hedge. What's the next big hurdle? The January 12th report. I know it's, it seems like it's far away, but it's really just around the corner. That historically is a report that can move things because the uh, USDA gives us our final numbers. They give us updates on stocks. So it's a big number. There's two or three big numbers during the year. What does that mean? It means that we can reprice on them because it's a very important uh, data dump. So you're, I would say that, look at new crop beans, you know, they can't get above 15 bucks, excuse me, old crop beans can't get above $15. Uh, if you look at March corn, March corn is fighting it out here at this, uh, at this current level, you know, it's really big um, 650 level. So that's your starting point for, you know, what your risk is heading into the uh, USDA. If you've got stuff in the bin, I recommend getting the floor under it. Uh, the USDA, you know, they can help you or hurt you but you're, you're getting a chance here right now to get a pretty good floor under it. And then finally, looking out to next year, you know, when was the last time we started the marketing year? We've got new crop corn at 6 bucks, and we've got new crop beans at $14. So we're getting a great head start. 
Um, certainly, you know, I, if, if you are looking to, 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 uh, to do some hedging, I'd rather be starting the year at $6 corn and $14 beans than, you know, at $5 and, uh, you know, $12 or $13. So we're getting Absolutely. a good start. And, and take advantage of that. That's what I would tell you. Tell you. Take advantage of it. Um, you don't have to cap the upside, but take advantage of these prices. Take advantage, folks. The market is offering, as Chris mentioned, a pretty good head start over marketing years in the past. Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thanks. Have a great rest of the week. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll dig into weather and some of that global news that's moving the market. Stay here for more AOA. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here today for AOA. You know, over this past couple of days, we have been talking quite a bit about the weather system that is moving across the country this week. It is having profound impacts across the northern plains and through the southeastern part of the U.S. from the Delta all the way to the Atlantic seaboard with severe thunderstorms. I was hoping to check in with our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather, but with that storm system moving, he's got the family home from school for the day. However, he did send over an update so we can keep up to speed on what is developing here with this storm because folks it is not done quite yet this system is going to continue to bring several states across the midwest today we are going to still see snow up in the north predominantly across minnesota parts of eastern north dakota really the entire state of minnesota on down into parts of iowa now as this system continues to move its way across john notes that cold air is going to move in behind the system that polar vortex that he's talked about is going to roll itself back down into the central part of the United States, and that is certainly going to be noticed here as we get into this next week. Now, as we look ahead Thursday and Friday this week, the snow is starting to wind down. However, John does note it will be sticking around Nebraska and parts of Iowa through until Friday. Very little precipitation down in the southwestern parts of the state, of course, that that huge drought, droughted part of the country uh, there in the Southern Plains did not get much from this storm. However, there is an even stronger front John is watching that will reinforce this cold air later next week. When we get John back on the program next Monday, no doubt we'll have some more information on the storm and how it could develop. Now, the blizzard conditions are still continuing up north. That is expected to uh, to stay the way several blizzard warnings still in effect through the day here on Thursday. The good news is we look out a little bit longer term from these severe weather events. And folks, they have been severe, both because of the blizzard and the tornadoes that have moved across the, uh, the southeastern states. We are seeing this moisture make its way into the river system. Of course, the lower Mississippi still open for navigation, still lots of soybeans moving up and down that river system, lots of fertilizer this time of year moving up and down that river system. And all of these this rainfall over both the Mississippi, the Missouri, and in fact, the Ohio River Valley are going to help keep those river levels elevated as we get through the remainder of this year. Now, John does note that as of today, the heavy thunderstorm activity associated with the southern half of this storm is now pushing all the way to the east. It is now east of Ohio, moving into Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and Georgia, so it is starting to work its way off the country, the continental U.S. down there. But do be cautious. If you're traveling today, we could still see those impacts as you are making some moves and folks we've also got some news from uncle sam today we did get an update on retail sales economists market watchers everybody is trying to figure out what's the direction of this u.s economy there are all sorts of conflicting data points we hear stories almost every day of major firms announcing layoffs morgan stanley just announced four thousand lenders will be let go by that firm here in the coming months so that certainly looks like bad news couple that with the inflation numbers we've got out there and there is concern that we could be headed for a recession. Bloomberg surveyed economists just about a month and a half ago, and 100% of them believed a recession was imminent here in the next year. Well, we got another data point to support that idea. This is retail sales. So, of course, the month of November, typically a big retail sales month as we see folks get out for Black Friday now that COVID is starting to fade into the background. Unfortunately, 
for folks bullish on the economy, the overall value of retail sales in November dropped 0.6 of a percent last month. Now this was up 1.3% in October, and that 0.6 drop was the largest drop in nearly a year, stretching back to January of 2022. Now, economists had been expecting a two-tenths percent decline in total retail sales, so to see it come in four-tenths above expectations is certainly a bearish piece of news. However, this news was counteracted today, or at least counterbalanced today in some form or fashion, by another report from the Department of Labor. This one applications for unemployment. U.S. jobless claims were released this morning, and they came in the lowest since September, noting that this is another sign of resiliency in the labor market. One of the key points from that CPI report here just about a week and a half ago was that despite the overall cooling of the rate of inflation, the rate of inflation for wages, what job earners are bringing home, was continuing to climb. So to see this strength in the labor market repeated not just on wages, but also in hiring, certainly seems like it could be a bullish factor for the economy looking out long term. Now, these are the, the lowest numbers we have seen since September. However, it is still elevated. The jobless claims number still elevated well over it was back in 2021. So it does seem as though the trend for slowing down seems to be in place. The real question is, what's the speed of this trend towards potential recession? And there was another piece of interesting news. One of the ways that, that folks who watch the markets try to figure all of this stuff out is by tracking anecdotal stories. Of course, we can look at the hard facts and the data, and we can get a pretty good picture of what's going on, but there are several other sectors that we just don't have hard facts on. And Reuters journalist Hillary Russ was doing some digging, wondering how fine dining eateries are faring here as COVID starts to move to the background and food prices continue to push higher. Now, we will be speaking with Ms. Russ tomorrow on the program to dive in deep to her article and the research she did to come up with these numbers. But what she's found is that most folks are willing to come back in Chicago, Specifically, bookings are back to pre-pandemic levels, and I think this is important to note, prices are substantially higher than they were pre-pandemic. That certainly fits, given the rate of inflation we have seen over the past two days. But, uh, but what Hillary noted is that we're seeing prices 10 to 25% higher than they were two years ago, and yet these restaurants are still selling out, or at least still getting their bookings to levels that they were pre-COVID. So there does still seem to be a lot of cash floating around the economy. A uh, friend of the program, Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing, has noted that several times that even though the, the trends are pointing down, this well of cash that's still out there still seems to have some legs. So no doubt we'll be digging into this story and the way it impacts both our regular day-to-day -day lives in this economy and the farm market as we roll into 2023. And rolling into 2023 might not be the best segue. I probably should have said floating into 2023 because we've got some additional conversations happening in Washington, D.C. We spoke with Jackie Fatka of AgriPulse earlier in the week about the several big decisions that Congress has to go through in this Congress yet, notably the, uh, the Defense Authorization Act, which has been floating around in D.C., and, of course, the some sort of legislation to fund the government, whether it's a continuing resolution or it's a new omnibus bill. Included in that potential omnibus bill is WERDA, the, uh, the, the Water Resources Development Act. This gets signed every two years. We've talked about this has uh, the impact this bill has on the ag economy as it is crucial for helping outline the direction 
for uh, America's inland waterway system. And we've seen a number of ag groups come together and say that they support the passage of order. The Agricultural Transportation Working Group has called on Congress to pass the most recently crafted bipartisan version of WERDA. I don't know that it is going to have uh, the ability to get through Congress on its own, but the hope is it could be added to one of those two must-pass bills here in the coming weeks. Now, also in the coming weeks, we will be checking in with our friend Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer over at StoneX, because the fertilizer industry is going through uh, some upheavals again. Uh, this past week, we saw Russia announce a tariff on every ton of fertilizer they are moving. And this week, the European Union countries are taking a look at how those sanctions are structured against Moscow specifically on fertilizer. What the EU countries are finding, and notably the countries with the biggest objection to the current sanction policies, are former Soviet states, Poland and Lithuania. They are not thrilled with the way these EU sanctions have been written with regard to fertilizer. Because remember, the sanctions exempt things required for food security. So fertilizer is exempted. They don't want to have a famine. Russia is a massive exporter. They want to continue getting those tons out. However, Poland and Lithuania say the way that this market has been structured in the EU still allows the oligarchs that own the Russian fertilizer companies to get paid on the tons they're shipping. And they say that violates sanctions. So EU leaders are gathering this week for the last summit of the year. It's the last time they'll all be together scheduled. And uh, they are saying they're moving closer to a deal and that a new sanctions draft was expected to be circulated later on this week, either late on Thursday or Friday. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that could have here in the short term over the fertilizer markets. One other update that we will be discussing here on the program in coming weeks is some changes proposed at the SEC Securities and Exchange Commission. Of course, we have talked several times on the program about the SEC bid to force climate disclosure uh, requirements for all publicly traded companies. And of course, the ag industry has had some concerns, to say the least, about that. But the SEC laid out four different proposals yesterday that Chair Gary Gensler is watching and what they're really trying to do they say is boost transparency and competition. These different plans have all been approved by a majority of the agency's five commissioners. They are just proposals at the moment. We are taking comments now, but basically they're, they're looking into ways they could restructure the equity markets and in Gensler's view, make it more equitable to individual traders. Folks, stick around. We're gonna take the focus to the global trade next with Dr. Mark Bush of Georgetown University's School of Foreign Relations. So stay here, we'll talk about what's coming with that Mexican GMO corn ban and what U.S. farmers could do in response. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. 
This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at the market trade. Fairly mixed activity being seen on the day Thursday with the wheat market finding a bit of support while corn and beans just kind of chop around. We see good weekly export sales numbers out on Thursday morning. Strong numbers for soybeans. Second highest net week for soybean sales in the 22-23 marketing year to date. Just under 3 million metric tons. China stepping in and buying a little over 1.2 million metric tons of soybeans on the week. Corn sales for the week were also stronger at 0.9 59 million metric tons with Guatemala, Mexico, and unknown destinations that's out buyers. Wheat was solid as well at 0.469 million metric tons. Beef and pork rebounding as well from last week's dismal numbers. We saw beef getting uh, 10,900 metric tons sold, pork at 14,400 metric tons sold. South Korea, the top buyer of beef, and Mexico was the top buyer of pork as well. Feedlot country. Speaking of cattle, still fairly quiet, getting a few more bids and asking prices on the table, but they are still about four to five dollars off of where asking prices currently are in the south. Northern asking prices still not quite established yet here as we get into Thursday trade. Now, back in the grain trade, uh, markets are still reacting a bit to yesterday's Federal Reserve announcement where we got that 50 basis point rate hike. The Dow Jones down over 500 points. NASDAQ down about 250. S&P down 65. Crude is down just a little bit as well. And we look at the U.S. dollar index. That has uh, been trading lower as well. It's uh, now rebounded a bit up nine points, 103.83. But again, the grain markets... Closely watching the macro markets outside of uh, having little other fresh news to really drive the trade here on the day Thursday. We'll keep an eye on the market trade and keep you informed. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Of course, agriculture is an industry that requires long-term planning. The capital investments that must be made on the operation and at farm businesses across the country need to have certainty 
for years ahead. And we're losing some of that certainty right now. January 1st, 2024, Mexico's proposed ban on the importation of GMO corn as of now is slated to go into effect. And of course, a lot of folks are taking a look at this issue and trying to figure out the best way forward. Yesterday, a group of 23 different state corn growers got together and issued an open letter to President Biden, urging him to expand these talks and try to make this go away. And if it doesn't, look for ways under the USMCA, Mexico-Canada Agreement, to somehow come to an agreement. That's one approach. There's another approach, perhaps using the World Trade Organization. Joining me now to explore that option is Dr. Mark Bush. He's the Carl Landinger Professor of International Business Diplomacy at the Walsh School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University. Dr. Bush, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Let's start with at USMCA versus WTO, what are the key distinctions on an issue like the Mexican ban on the importation of GMO corn? This is a really good case and both courts would be likely to produce a win. The issue is really, where is the most bang for the buck in winning? And in this regard, the WTO is the clear preferred choice. Remember that we have glyphosate issues in the European Union at the moment as well. And the case law that would ultimately drive the U.S. win against uh, Mexico's ban on GM corn would be WTO case law. So it's certainly the case that we could win in either court. But for the benefits that would be won more broadly and for the deterrent value of the win, it'd be much preferable to be having this case go to the WTO. And I think so much hinges on here on the definition of win. Dr. Bush, when you talk about both cases where, or both courts would likely produce a win, what does a win look like under the WTO? What could they do? Well, the win would take the form of declaring that Mexico has no science to back up their regime and that moreover, the science they do have is applied in a discriminatory manner. So for example, one of the first things that would come up in this case is that Mexico goes one way on corn, but in a very different way on cotton, soybeans, and wheat. And these are red flags in a trade case of this type. So the idea would be that Mexico would be found to have violated either WTO or USMC rules, but the issue would be the discriminatory application of science and whether a ban is overly trade restrictive in this case. And then we get to the point where with a win in hand, legally speaking, then you turn to the politics of negotiating market access. Aha. So the win doesn't necessarily guarantee any more GMO corn into Mexico necessarily. It gives some leverage to the negotiators who are then going back to the table. Am I understanding it right? That's right. It gives a lot of leverage. But moreover, another way to see this is that it gives Mexican legislators the language to explain why it is that coming into compliance is necessary. So on the one hand, yes, the U.S. ends up getting some leverage by virtue of the legal victory. On the other hand, though, it's equally important that the Mexican legislators have the ability to rationalize for their own domestic constituents why it is they lost and what it is that will take to come into compliance. Gotcha. If they go the USMCA route, it would more be a dictate, this is the way it goes, you have no say. Would that be the objection to that particular avenue? 
Both courts are going to rule pretty much the same way based on the same reasoning. It's going to be going down to the basics of the science, of which Mexico has none. And the story that Mexico likes to perpetuate in its ban is that it is doing this based on the precautionary principle. It doesn't have a foot to stand on in this regard. So technically, the wins will be almost identical in both courts. But again, the wider value of the win will be more fully realized if it happens at the WTO because Mexico is hardly the only country playing games right now on GM. That's a great point. So going through the WTO, as you say, that establishes it as case law within the WTO. So if any future country tries this, they've already got the, the what the roadmap would look like to stop it in place. Do I understand that? That's right. And so think about it this way. China's genetically modified regime is really sketchy. They do things that no other country on earth does. And part of the bar to clear in the Mexico corn case would be what is good science and how is it used in a non-discriminatory way? That would send a very loud message to China to get its own house in order, lest it be next on the hit list. Aha. Now, Dr. Bush, I'm curious, looking at this case moving forward, we've got these two avenues, USMCA, it's definitely the shiny new thing that we've got in hand to use, and the WTO, and I'm wondering, is the WTO still working like it's supposed to? Could we actually get to a win in that organization? That's a really good question, and the problem right now is that by virtue of U.S. policy, the appellate body, the second-tier court, hasn't been functioning since December 2019. So here's the gamble. The U.S. wins at the panel stage, the first-tier court, and Mexico appeals, and there's no appellate body to hear the appeal. So that would really stymie the progression of this case toward the possibility, for example, of retaliation, the United States retaliating against Mexico in this case. But in with respect to the appellate body not functioning, yes, this is a big jam. And the U.S. is being grilled this week in Geneva on why it continues to block appointments to the appellate body and what it will take for the United States to unblock appointments to the appellate body. So, if I was advising U.S. agriculture, I'd be making a very loud, boisterous case to my representatives in Congress saying it's time to let the appellate body get back to work because we've got a lot of health and safety battles in trade looming on the horizon. And it's not just China and Mexico, the two we've discussed so far. We've got a number of very provocative policies in the works in the European Union and to defeat a European policy that is discriminatory, you really do need the final word from the WTO's appellate body. So what is the U.S. saying? How are they answering these questions in Geneva about the blockage at the appellate body? Dr. Bush, is there any way we could make progress here in the short term? So the U.S. has been clinging to the idea that its concern about the appellate body is that verdicts rendered by the appellate body are often, if not usually, breaching etiquette and going into the realm of legislation from the bench or judicial activism. It's an interesting argument. 
it can be addressed, but this week the United States isn't telling anybody anything about it, what it wants. And that has been the problem really since 2019. It's very difficult to negotiate with the United States when the United States refuses to explain what it will take to unblock the appellate body. Okay, so stalls on that front. Uh, Dr. Bush, while we're talking, and we've got this appellate body not functioning, so the WTO, you can't really do anything beyond an appeal past that first panel. Does this mean this would potentially be an opportunity to do things that the WTO has frowned on? And I think in agriculture, cattle industry specifically, MCOOL, mandatory country of origin labeling. What would happen if the U.S. were to pass that now? It's really an interesting and, and not too distant prospect. The fact that MCOOL is being rejuvenated to replace what was struck down in 2012 by the WTO is quite provocative. And yes, this would give a little bit of lease on life. Don't count, though, on other countries not challenging it, namely Canada and Mexico, almost immediately at the WTO, even looking for that first panel ruling to condemn MCOOL. MCOOL's got some problems, though, and it is cute that it now has the moniker MCOOL, M being mandatory, because it's no doubt that the United States feels that the problem it ran into back in 2012 was that it was a mandatory regime, therefore a technical barrier to trade, and thus subject to the obligations of that agreement at the WTO. My concern is a little different. There's no way MCOOL can be made to work to clear the bar of that original verdict. The verdict came down to the disconnect between the requirements for bookkeeping and accounting, and verification for that matter, and the amount of information conveyed to consumers through the label at point of sale. To meet that would make a label almost impenetrable. And as the United States reluctantly conceded at the WTO back in the old fashioned days, nobody's gonna pay for this information. And that's why it more or less had to be mandatory because there was no way to make it voluntary. Okay, so if it does get legs again and come into law here in the coming years, could Mexico or Canada unilaterally slap tariffs on the industry or would it still have to go through the WTO? Canada and Mexico would both either file at USMCA and see what they get or go to the WTO. And then it will be up to them as to how they reacted minus the appellate body. Please don't misunderstand what's happening in today's global economy. Europe is arming itself to move to retaliation even absent the appellate body. Canada also has a policy designed to do essentially the same thing. If the United States continues to foot drag on the appellate body, and moreover, continues to defy WTO verdicts like it's now going to do on steel and aluminum, other countries will mimic and U.S. agriculture will be one of the main losers in that battle. All right. Lots of things to think about. This is a huge issue, folks, and we are not done discussing it. We will get Professor Bush on again in the future to discuss it further. Dr. Mark Bush from Georgetown University, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk cattle specifically, South Dakota cattle, with Eric Jennings, president of the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. 
and vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We 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 are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. 
Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome back to AOA. Thanks for joining us today, folks. You know, it has seen some, there has been some severe weather up in the state of South Dakota this past week. And despite of all of that, the South Dakota cattlemen's still got together in uh, in South Dakota for their 75th annual convention and trade show. We are joined now by Eric Jennings. He serves as the president of that organization. And Eric, tell me, what was the feeling like at the convention this year for the South Dakota cattlemen? Uh, well, it was, uh, you know, all together, it was, it was a good optimistic feeling. Uh, everybody is, is pretty happy about uh, the state of agriculture right at the moment, but honestly, we had a, a blizzard going on through most of South Dakota. Uh, the western half had a blizzard, the eastern half had an ice storm, uh, and, and everybody had, had pretty miserable conditions, but uh, but certainly cut into our attendance, but even at that, everybody was, was in a pretty good mood and, and a lot of jocularity going on at the conventions. You know, it's always fun when you get a severe weather event during an ag meeting, you're never sure is this going to drive down attendance or does this free up some folks to leave the farm and get to town to have that discussion. Eric, I'm glad some members were still able to get together. Of course, there's a lot on the minds of cattle producers this year. What were some of the hot topics under discussion in South Dakota? Well, a lot of, you know, our, our, our convention is uh, probably divided up into three areas. Uh, part of it is certainly the policy process that we use a very uh, strict grassroots policy process to, to work through policy. Uh, part of it is, is educational. Um, I'm very strong on, on continuing education for all of our producers. And then we try to mix in some fun and, and fellowship in with it also. So, you know, a lot of it was uh, was educational things. Uh, we are focused on technology this year. Um, and because and, that's a, an important aspect of agriculture anymore, whether we're early adopters or, or begrudgingly adopters, it's important that we know what, what technology there is and how it's being used, and so we can make decisions based on that. So we had a producer Absolutely. panel that, that, that talked about uh, virtual fencing. Um, one, one individual talked about uh, data that they collect at the shoot side. So when, when they have a cow in the shoot, whether you're pregnant testing or, or what have you, uh, the information that they can capture in an easy manner that way, uh, one individual using it in the feedlot for software for mixing rations and, and keeping track of, of how much they're feeding each one. And, and then an individual using GPS ear tags uh, to keep track of cows and, and their patterns. So that, that producer panel is very interesting. 
I bet it was. Eric, it's so cool to see the world of cattle getting this kind of technologies for so long. We've looked over the fences at our friends in row crop production with all sorts of new bells and whistles and gadgets, and now it's coming to beef production, and that's got to be pretty exciting for a lot of these producers. It is, yep, absolutely. And, you know, with the national issues that we've had with greenhouse gas emissions, uh, another one of those, and South Dakota State University has received a large grant from from the government to measure and part of what they're doing is measuring the greenhouse gas emissions from cattle on pasture uh, all of the greenhouse gas emissions so far have come from measuring cattle in a feedlot situation so in a, in a confined area but we now have the technology uh, company in rapid city south dakota developed some technology to to uh, it's a kind of a booth that the, the animal will step into for a couple minutes to to get a drink of water or something in there, some some way to, to attract them, and then they can measure those greenhouse gas emissions from that animal on a natural environment in, instead of a uh, feeding processed feeds. So we heard a lot about that, that grant also. So so you know that's that's going to be a huge advancement in agriculture when we get some actual data on what greenhouse gas emissions are from cattle on on a range situation. You know, that is a great point, Eric, and it's one that is so often overlooked is so much of this policy, particularly on sustainability and emissions, is driven by models, and those models can only work if it's the right data going into it. So that is very cool that they'll be modeling, modeling cattle on pasture. And I'm wondering, of course, those policy issues are in the news. Did you have enough folks make it to convention to be able to make some policy headway, or was it just a good discussion time? Oh, we made some policy headway. Uh, absolutely. Um, I don't think we really had to add much or many new policies. Uh, we every five years we will look at our policy uh, policy that is five years old, and and see if we need to renew it or allow it to sunset or amend it to to bring it up to current. So that's a lot of what we do. Uh, we did have some new policies there. Uh, one of the things we have been focusing on this year at South Dakota Cattlemen is enhancing the NAP policy. Uh, that uh, FSA has, Farm Service Agency. Uh, the NAP policy is for non-insurable crops. Uh, you know, we can insure our row crops through grain. Uh, not all of you, you can't necessarily insure forage crops. Uh, and so we're able to do that, uh, particularly with mechanically harvested forage. So, in, and I live in western South Dakota. We put up a lot of grass hay out here. So if you go out to a field and you cut that grass for hay, you can uh, buy up coverage for that. So a typical NAP policy is for 50% of the production and 50% of the price. Or you could buy up uh, coverage, so increase the uh, amount of loss that, that you would need or increase the amount of price that you're getting paid back for that. Uh, and can you use that policy that even if you're just going to keep the hay on your operation, or is it only for those who are in the hay marketing business? Uh, people are using that for the hay in their operation. Oh, good. Okay. So it's, you know, if you have 50% uh, less hay than you normally would get, then you could qualify for a payment from the NAP. All right, and get out there. Certainly get, news so after uh, the past is, couple uh, of years. Right, yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, used extensively in, out, out here, but in western South Dakota particularly. Eastern South Dakota, we have a lot more row crop. Uh, the soil is a lot better. The environment is a lot more conducive for growing things so uh, it's not used as much out there but western south dakota is heavily used western south uh, dakota of course though, eric we've oh yeah. sorry go ahead no in western south dakota um you can also do that policy for grazed forage but grazing doesn't have offer that buy-up coverage it's just strictly a 50 50 level 
So you need to have at least a 50% loss, and then you get paid 50% of a of a payment that is based on uh, grazing animal unit months. Uh, and so whatever the the growing going rate for for renting grazing uh, pasture is, you'd get 50% of that level. So we're asking that we have the opportunity to buy up coverage on that, so we don't have to have as much loss, and and also you could buy up a higher price. So just Absolutely. trying to enhance that program to, to cover uh, or to give the same benefits for grazed forage as mechanically harvested forage. Might as well treat the two the same. They're going to the same end use. Folks, we've been speaking with Eric Jennings, president of the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Yep, you betcha. Thank you. And good luck this next year in the beef business. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more conversations on agriculture here in AOA, including that with John Hulsman, a geopolitical strategist friend, and Don Roos of U.S. Commodities. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.